0: Randy Pausch was a professor of computer science and human-computer interaction and design at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. In the fall of 2006, he learned that he had pancreatic cancer. And in August of 2007, he discovered that he had three to six months to live. On September 18th, kind of weird, isn't it? Today's September 18th. On September 18th in 2007, he gave what the school referred to as the last lecture. This talk was modeled after an ongoing series of lectures where top academics were asked to share on a topic such as, what wisdom would you try to impart to the world if you knew this was your last chance? So in front of 400 colleagues and students, he did just that. Before his death in 2008, he co-authored a best-selling book called the last lecture. We find a similar story or stories in the Old Testament where we read about two men who were also facing death and they came to this same crossroad in their life and they also shared a very compelling message to the people of Israel. The first guy was a man named Moses And we find his final teachings to the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses was nearing the end of his life. And so he shared a message that would help them to pattern their lives as they raised up strong families. One generation literally after another. So this is what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7. Moses says, listen Israel, the Lord our God is the only true God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Memorize his laws and tell them to your children over and over again. Talk about them all the time, whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning. Hear the importance in Moses' voice here, what he's saying, the importance of imparting the word of God into the lives of our young, pe- of, of our young people and of our, our, of our youth and our kids. I mean, so many families are represented in this room. We need to take these words to heart. Now, as his life was about to end, Moses challenged then the next generation with these words. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 19, this is what he said. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your children will live. And love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh, yes. He is life itself. Underline that because, man, that is such a powerful phrase. He is life itself. A long life settled on the soil that God, your God, promised to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, one of the young men who accepted that challenge that day was a man by the name of Joshua. He would become a man of faith. He would become a man of vision, of integrity, of conviction, of courage. A man man you could trust your life with. In fact, an entire nation of men willingly followed him as, as he led the children of Israel into the promised land. And toward the end of his life, he also challenged the next generation. And like Moses, this was his final message. This was his last lecture. And so at the age of 110, Joshua gathers the leaders of Israel together at Shechem. And he challenged them to obey the Lord who had fought for them and had given them an inheritance. And he warned them on the danger of falling away from God. Here's this message that's found in Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. So now, fear God. Worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worship on the far side of the river, the Euphrates, and in Egypt. You worship God. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worship from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of, of, of the Amorites on whose land we, you're now living. As for me and my family, we'll worship God. Now, let me speak to you dads for a moment. Both Moses and Joshua knew that a nation was only as strong as its father's. They knew that the Father holds in his hands the security of today and the potential for tomorrow. I believe that they understood this crucial component to the healing of a society, a society, and it's this. It's men who have chosen to be the spiritual leaders that God calls them to be. That's why Joshua challenged the men of his day to be what God had designed them to be, and that was the spiritual leaders of the home and the spiritual leaders of the nation. So, I began to reflect on Randy Paul's story the last lecture. And I began to reflect on the message that Moses and Joshua gave. And it made me think. I mean, what if today seriously, what if today was was my last sermon? I mean, what if today was my last message to you, was my last lecture? I mean, what if God said, I need you over here, or I need you over there? Or what if God decided, this was the day to take me home, to be with him? You see, if somehow I knew that 2016 was my last year on this planet, and my last year as a father, and my last year as a husband, as a grandfather, and as your pastor, what message would I want to leave you that would help you to shape and direct both your lives today as well as the lives of the next generation. Well, here's what I want you to remember. Let's pray, though, before we do that. Lord, I just pray for these next few moments. God, I just pray for your spirit right now to to just embody us and fill us and infuse us. God, may your spirit really speak to our hearts today. And help us to understand the importance of what we are about to say and what we are about to talk about. Because these things need to be passed on. This next generation of young people that are being raised up, Lord, they need to understand and know these things we are talking about. So Lord, may it be a priority in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what, what I want you to remember, first of all, never forget that we have an amazing Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. Now, I know that's pretty basic, but I think we lose sight of what that really means in our life. I mean, do you understand what he says when he says, we have a God who loves us literally unconditionally? Unconditionally doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter who your parents are, doesn't matter how you were raised, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter what you have done or what you haven't done, he loves you unconditionally. Now we have a hard time with that today I think because we just simply don't know how to define love in society. I mean, think about it. We basically have one word for love, whereas the Greek language especially had at least four different words for love. It was a lot more definitive, and so you could understand more what they're talking about. But we just kind of have that one word for love. Now, here's why I, I say say these things because there's two problems that I see when it comes to understanding God's love and the first one is simply this we again we basically have that one word that describes what love is and then so we use that in a lot of different settings don't we I mean we say I really love this house that we just got and it's awesome or I just love this car it's just so much better than my old one or I love going to the soccer game or the football game or the baseball game. Or I love to play golf. Or I really love my wife. I really love my dog and my cat. You see, we use the same word to describe love, but hopefully we don't love our cat or dog or golf or football or, or soccer more than we love our wife or husband, right? And so sometimes we get really confused on how we define and how we describe what love is and I think that's why it's hard sometimes to understand this love that God says that he has for us this unconditional love you see the second problem I see is this sometimes the way we live and the way we are treated the dysfunction in our family or in our relationships all these things can color how we view life and especially how we view and define love If you grew up in an abusive home and you had an abusive father, let me tell you, you'll have a hard time understanding how God loves you. It's not that you can't and you can work through that, but you'll have a hard time distinguishing the two. You see, sometimes the way we're raised, the dysfunction in our homes, the dysfunction in our families, in our relationships really color our view of of what, what love really is. And because of that, it colors our view of God's love in our life. And we don't really understand the kind of love God has for us. That's why it's so important that we begin to understand what it really means when we say that God loves us more than we could ever imagine. You see, man's love tends to be stingy and selfish and unforgiving and conditional, doesn't it? We place conditions on people. Whether consciously or not, we place conditions on people. We have a very unforgiving spirit for the most part. We're very self-serving. But God's love, and the the Greek word there is uh, agape love, God's love is sacrificial, it's serving, it's forgiving, and it's very unconditional. If you don't believe me, let me remind you what the Bible says. All of us know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God so loved the world. One of my favorites is this one. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand the impact of that? While we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love this way. While we were still sinners, while we were in the midst of our sin, while we were living in it, Christ died for us. He didn't say, clean your act up, then I'll love you. He didn't say, get things right, Kathy, or you're out of here, you're toast. He didn't say that. While we were still sinners, man, he died for us. And he demonstrated that unconditional love for us. And then how about this one? I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and be built on love. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. How wide, how long, how high, how deep that love really is. How awesome is that? You see, that's God's love. Again, he loves us with an unconditional love. It's not based on what we do, what we have, or who we are. We don't have to prove anything to him to receive his love. He loves us just the way we are. And moms and dads that are in here today, that is a message that your kids need to hear from the moment they are born. They need to hear the message that God loves them more than anything. So that that will be carried out throughout the rest of their life. And grandparents in here, if there are many, you need to be pouring that message into your grandkids. The second thing is this. Never forget that because he loves us so much, get this, this has always blown me away. He thought we were worth dying for. I mean, think about that. He thought we were worth dying for. Us sinful man, kind, he thought we were worth dying for. Now, here's the problem I see today. Statistics show us that or tell us that today's generation of young people are growing up thinking or acting like they have no true worth or value. I mean, there are kids literally all over this nation today, all over the world today, who are growing up with no real worth or value in their life because they're they're told they don't have it. I mean, for some kids, their value and their worth, get this, it's found on their computers, on their iPads, on their smartphones, on their gaming systems. That's where they find worth and value. I mean, think about the amount of time your kids are on those electronics in their life. I mean, when I was growing up, when I got, of course, yeah, when I was growing up, yeah, we didn't have a lot. I didn't even know what it was. I mean, Back then, you know, a computer that had a lot of information was like huge. I mean, it was one of these things. But I just remember, man, growing up, when I'd get home, when I was in the fourth and fifth grade, and I'd get home from school, I'd get my homework done, and I would be on my bike. I'd be going to the ball field. I'd be playing this. I'd be playing that. I'd be going to my friend's house. I didn't even think about anything other than interacting with people and my friends on a personal level, not through electronics. And yet that's where our generation, this generation of young people are going. And to make matters worse, man, Christians have fallen into the same trap. And so they live like they honestly believe that their lives have no value and they have no worth. I can't tell you the number of people I talk to that that, that fit in that very category. People who Christ has died for. But whether you believe it or not, you and I have incredible worth and value in the eyes of God. Again, look at the verse we just read a moment ago out of Romans 5 eight. But God demonstrates his own love, own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much value, that's how much worth you have. He was willing to die for you. He was willing to, to look past what you were to see you for what you could become. Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's one of my favorites. I just want to give you a little snippet of it. The first part says this, for we are God's masterpiece. I love that. Some of your versions may say workmanship. Same word. We are God's masterpiece. The Greek word translated masterpiece or workmanship, it's an interesting word because it's the word in which we derive our English word poem from. And it literally means that which is made, a manufactured product. In other words, we are God's, get this, we are God's creative piece of originality. We have become God's showpieces. We have become his poems, his workmanship. How awesome is that? But again... The problem is this, the world and our enemy are constantly telling us that we don't measure up and that we have no worth, that we have no value. And the sad thing is, a lot of people would rather believe them instead of believing the one who created us and then died to prove it to us. How much value we have. I've told you this before, but when it comes to art, man, I'm not an artist. I don't draw. I I mean, I do stick figures, but that's about it. I just don't draw but but I love to see paintings I love to look at them we went into a an art gallery down in um, down in the Outer Banks down in the duck area uh, just this past week and uh, there there are some cool paintings but there's always a section and I even noticed it this week there's always a section that have local artists and local talent and I think that word sometimes is used very loosely you know when it comes to talent Um, (laughs) And so you see some of these amazing pictures, then you see some of these that you're not really sure what they are, and yet, there's not a lot of difference in the price tag. That's what's amazing to me. I mean, you'll have these incredible pictures, they'll be, yeah, they'll be a thousand, maybe two thousand, but then you'll see these local artists that you're not even sure what they just drew, you know, what they painted and the picture will still be like five hundred dollars. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm not going to give you 50 cents for that thing because I don't even know what it is. Now, the thing of it is, I may not know its worth. I may not know its value. I may not think it's worth anything at all. But let me tell you, the one who created it, who drew it, they know how much it's worth, don't they? They know how much value they put into it. And then the people that follow that artist, they know. How much value and worth is in that picture, don't they? So if you want to know what you're worth, then you look to the one who created you and then died to buy you back from a world that only wants to devalue your life. You know what's interesting about art? Is once the artist dies, the value increases. Think about that. When Jesus died, your value skyrocketed because of the death of God's son. He saw so much value and worth in you. Let me remind you of what the Bible says. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, when you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. Get this, he canceled the debt, which listed all the rules we failed to follow. He took away that record with its rules, and get this, he nailed it to the cross. How awesome is that? Now, here's why this is so important. Because when people, especially young people, start to honestly believe that they have incredible value and incredible worth in the eyes of their Heavenly Father, it will change the rest of their life. And it'll change the rest of your life. When you begin to honestly understand how much value and worth you have in the eyes of our God, so much so, he said, you're worth dying for You're worth dying for. The next thing I'd want you to remember is this. Never forget that because of his amazing love, I love this too, he chose to adopt us into his family. He chose to adopt us into his family. Paul wrote, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. I love that phrase. And then get this one. And it gave him great pleasure. Think about that. You and I bring God great pleasure. So much so that our adoption wasn't our idea. Our adoption was his. Now as we begin to put adoption and the process of adoption into perspective of the first century when this was written... There's a couple of things to remember. First of all, adoption was a relatively rare practice in the ancient Israel, but it was a common practice in the first century Greco-Roman world. And the one being adopted was taken legally into his new family, and he assumed all the rights and all the responsibilities associated with that new family. In other words, they were treated as a birth child. There was no difference they had all the rights all the responsibilities as well as all the inheritance of a of a a birth child and what does that mean for us i love these words that paul writes in romans chapter 8 starting in verse 15 listen to these words so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves instead You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. That term Abba was an Aramaic term that the Aramaic kids used for their their dads. It, It meant Daddy, Father. He says, we cry out, we call to him, Daddy, Father, Abba. For his spirit joins with our spirits to confirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's or we are his children, we are also his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. How awesome is that? You are a child of God. Never forget that. In Christ, you are a child of God. But secondly, again, our adoption... Again, it was his idea. You see, there was nothing attractive or desirable about us that prompted God to adopt us into his family. I've told you this before, but we're not like that cute little puppy in the pet store window that looks at us with those big, sad puppy eyes, hoping that you're going to take him home. That's not us. You know what we are? Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are enemies of the cross. We are distant. We are defiant. We are dead in our sins. That's who we are outside of Christ. And yet our amazing God decided in advance to look past what we were and he chose to see us for what we become and he said, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of my family even if it costs the life of my son. I'll give him so that you might be a part. You are a child of the king. True story. Dr. Fred Craddock tells a time when him and his wife were vacationing in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. This was probably back in the late 60s, I would guess. This is what he writes. He says, one night we found a quiet little restaurant where we looked forward to just kind of a private meal by ourselves. And while we were waiting for our food, a distinguished-looking white-haired old man came slowly over to our table and he simply said, Where are you folks from?" He said, well, we're from Oklahoma. He said, splendid state. So what do you do for a living? Fred said, well, I teach homiletics at the graduate seminary of Phillips University. He kind of looked at him and he said, well, can I share a story with you? And with that, he sat down, he he pulled up a chair and sat down at at our table and he said, I'm Ben Hopper. I was born right over there, past those mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a pretty hard time. When I started to school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and lunch because the things they said to me just cut me so deep. What was worse was going into town on Saturday afternoons and feeling like every eye was just burning a hole through my heart, wondering just who my father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. and I would always go in late and kind of slip out early, but one day I got caught and I had to walk out with the crowd and I could feel every eye in that church just looking at me. Just about the time I got to the door, I felt this big hand upon my shoulder and I looked up and the preacher was looking at me and he said, Whose boy are you? And I felt this big weight coming down on me. It was like this big black cloud. And I thought, even the preacher is putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile. And he said, "Ah, wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You, just, you look just like him. You are a child of God. With that, he slapped me across the rump and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Now go out and claim it. With tears in his eyes, he said, those were the most important words anybody ever said to me. And he said, I never forgot them. I am somebody because I'm a child of God. Fred Craddock said that when the old man walked away, Him and his wife began to talk and he said he remembered from his study of Tennessee history that the people of Tennessee had elected a governor who had been born out of wedlock whose name was Ben Hopper. Here's the bottom line. Because of the amazing love and grace of our Heavenly Father, He has adopted us into His family. And never forget, you and I are somebody You and I are special. And we have an incredible worth and incredible value because my dad and your dad is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And that's a message that has to be passed on to the next generation. Now, I have one more thing to share. But before I do, let me tell you why I believe that this is so important for parents, for grandparents, for friends, and for this church to pass these things on to others. You see, as we think back on Joshua, the Bible says that the nation of Israel followed God faithfully throughout his life. In fact, the Jews entered the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And yet, even though they had seen God's awesome display of power, even though they had received God's promise, over time, things changed. So this is what we find in Judges chapter 2. Joshua has just died. And as we pick up the story in verse 10, this is what we read. Eventually that entire generation died and was buried. Then another generation grew up that didn't know anything of God or the work he had done for Israel. Now what in the world happened? I mean, at the end of their lives, both Moses and Joshua challenged and commanded the people to teach and to pass on the things they had been taught to the next generation. And as we just read, that didn't happen. Instead, they stopped worshiping the Lord, and they began to worship idols. And they began to compromise, and soon, they became just like their pagan neighbors. Look at verses 11 through 13. The people of Israel did evil in in God's sight. They served Baal gods. They deserted God, the God of their parents who had led them out of Egypt. They took up with other gods, gods of the peoples around them. They actually worshipped them. And oh, how they angered God as they worshipped God, Baal, and goddess Asteret. Why did this happen? It happened because they became comfortable. It happened because they compromised their values. It happened because they compromised the word of God. And they stopped passing on godly morals and godly values to the kids. Let me tell you, you and I are supposed to pass on that baton of faith to the next generation. You and I are supposed to pass on the message that we have a God that loves us more than we could ever imagine. That we have a God that thought we were worth dying for. We have a God who is willing to adopt us into his family. That message has to be passed on. But let me tell you, it begins with a choice. As Joshua declared before his death, as for me and my house... We will we'll serve the Lord, man. We'll worship God. You see, it's a choice. It's a choice that you make and it's a choice that I make. Which brings me to the last thing and that's this. As I said a moment ago, there's one last thing we have to remember. You and I have a choice to make. God will not force his amazing love on us. We have to choose to accept what he has given through his death and resurrection of his son. And then we have to choose to pass those messages on so that the next generation will grow up loving and serving the Lord. It's a choice. You have a choice, I have a choice. And it's a choice to begin to live out what we say we believe and what we profess to be. And it's to live it out in a way that the next generation, our kids grow up seeing a mom and a dad who love God and who give their all for Him. And that message is being poured into them so that then when they are parents, they are pouring that into their kids. When their kids are parents, they're pouring that into their kids so that we will not follow the pattern of Israel. Because we we can't afford to have a generation grow up not knowing God and his love and the fact that he's died for you and he's died for me and he wants to adopt us. It's a choice. We're going to reflect. Adam is going to come and play and as he comes, we just need to really begin to search our hearts and I'm going to challenge you parents, especially you dads today because I think it begins with you because you are the spiritual leaders of the home. And the question is, what kind of a leader are you? What kind of a spiritual leader are you in your home? Dads? Husbands? Starts with you. Are you pouring these things into your kids, into your grandkids? Are you giving them the things of God so that when they grow up, they grow up loving him? Does that mean everything is going to be right and they're going to make all the right choices when they're teens? No, it doesn't. The hope is down the road, because you have poured into them, those things will come back, and they will be a part of who they are. What are you pouring into your kids? It's a choice that we have to make. So here's my challenge. It's twofold. One is, if you've never accepted this amazing message of God's love, if you've never accepted his death and resurrection, That shows you just how much you are worth. If you've never been adopted into his family because of that choice, you need to come and do that. You just need to come and we will pray with you, we will encourage you, and we will talk with you, and we will share with you today if that's where you're at. But, dads, I want to challenge you. If you're ready to say, I need that, I need to be that kind of dad that kind of grandparent. I want to make sure I'm pouring into my kids the message of God. If that's you, I want you to come and stand with me because we want to pray with you. And we want to encourage you today to be that kind of a husband, to be that kind of a father, to be that kind of a leader, not only in your home, but in the church. So if that's you, you just come and stand with me because we want to pray over you today. So let's reflect. If you have a prayer need or you just want to accept this message, you come and sit down. But if you're a dad today and you just want to say, that's me, I want to do that, I want to be that dad, you come and stand we're going to pray with you right now. Just get up where you're at and you just come.